This week, the BMJ publishes a series of in-depth articles that examine the patient safety storm surrounding surgical mesh implants for vaginal prolapse and stress urinary incontinence. Our series, called How Mesh Became a Four-Letter Word, documents how thousands of women have been irreversibly harmed, how implants were approved on the flimsiest of evidence, and how the dash for mesh stopped developments of alternatives. We also find how surgeons failed to set up registries that would have identified complications sooner, and how NICE and regulators left them on the hook. The mesh story tells us the extent of which surgeons, researchers and professional bodies are entangled with the manufacturers. I'm Rebecca Coombs, Head of News and Views for the BMJ, and this week I talked to three women who have had vaginal mesh implanted and all suffered the negative consequences that have prompted these investigations. We bring you these stories to underline how life-altering the situation has been for these women and to highlight the need for fully informed consent before anyone else has a mesh implanted. Susan's story started with an invitation to see a nurse for a smear test, like anyone else her age. I'd gone for a routine smear test and she had said, oh gosh, Susan, you, you've got quite a big, a large prolapse. And I said, oh, would that be why I'm leaking? You know, every now and again through coughing and sneezing. And she said, well, yes, it probably is. She says, I'm going to speak to a doctor and ask them to give you a referral. Well, I was a little piddle, you know, it was a little leak. I mean, it was nothing I was concerned about. I didn't even know I had a prolapse. I was offered... Um, surgery and she said that she that she could do a surgery that would be very quick you would be in and out within um a day or two mm -hmm. and it was a sling that that's all she said to me that it was it was a sling I had asked and she said while she was in there she would fix the prolapse because I had a posterior wall prolapse and I said, well, okay, you know, were there any risks, etc." cetera? Um, she said, the only thing that she came back to me with was, well, obviously there's the anesthetic risks, which is the general risks that we all know about. And the only other possible risk that you could have would be pain in your leg. And she said, but that would pass within a few days because that, was, that, that would just be down to how you were positioned during surgery. You, you, you trust you know, you're, you're put into a position of trust when you go to see um, a consultant, a GP, a solicitor, anybody, because um, that is what their job and they do this on a daily basis. And were you given any other options to control no. your symptoms? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. I had I had a few years earlier prior to, to being married um, in 2011 had gone um, because of um, a leak but the surgeon then said because I was getting married that um, she wouldn't want to do the operation um, because there, there, there's a possibility of nipping a nerve and that could have caused difficulty. I, I had brought all of this up at my, um, at, at my consultation in 2016 but she said no there was, the, there was nothing the only possibility would be pain in my leg through the position of surgery. I wasn't told what the material was. I was, and I mean, when somebody says a sling, you just automatically assume, well, it's like a sling that you put on your arm or, you know, and, and that's just what I thought it was. I mean, I didn't even know that it was a permanent implant. I had the procedure on the 11th of August and I went down to theatre, but in recovery, when I came around in recovery, 
um, I was in excruciating pain. I, I couldn't move my left leg at all. And the pain was incredible. And I, I'd said to the nurse, and he said, okay, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. And then the, the tears came because, I, I mean, I had just never felt pain like it. Susan's pain continued during her stay in hospital and upon her discharge. At this point, she was taking large doses of opioids to manage the pain. After 12 days, she returned to hospital in desperation. I went to get out of bed and I could not move. Now, this, this, by this time, it had, the pain had spread to the other side. It had spread to my back, both legs and my groin area. Um, I, I was it. The pain was horrendous. I couldn't even sit up. I, I, I couldn't manage to sit up. So, so that was, I phoned the GP back again and she said, Susan, I can't give you any more medication. She said, if I give you more medication, you're going to be out cold. She said, you're on such a cocktail of drugs. And there were really strong drugs that I had been on. Um, so she phoned for an ambulance. The ambulance came um, because it was a GP ambulance. All they could offer me was gas and air. Um, after taking a full canister of gas and air, I still couldn't move with the pain. So another um, paramedic crew was called. They come in and they give me 10 mil of morphine. So between that and the canister of gas and air, they got me from the bed into the, to the, the chair to take me down into the ambulance. There's another story in A&E. I mean, I was just told, I don't even know why you're here because, you know, this is just normal after this kind of surgery. And I'm some well, I don't think it's normal that I can't walk. I was left in a corridor um, when I was finally seen in a, in a cubicle that the morphine had kicked in. And um, the, 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 I was able to stand and I was able to walk very slowly, but I was able to walk. And he said that you were fine. I'm just, you, you, you can go on home. And I said, no, I would rather get down you know, to the bottom of this as to, to why I am in so much pain and why this happened. I mean, if this happens again tomorrow, what am I going to do? And he, and he basically turned around to me and he said, I have very ill patients over there. I have ill patients there. And then I have you. And he, he spoke to me as in, you know, I can't give you any more morphine as if I was an addict of some sort. That's how he made me feel. And, he's, and he just dismissed me. And I said, so you want me just to walk out of here and go home? And he said yes, and he left. The lack of acknowledgement of her pain and the feeling that doctors thought it was psychosomatic or a lack of resilience characterised Susan's interactions with her medical team. She made me feel as if that um, I wasn't telling the truth. It was, it was like all in my head, all of this pain. And, and I'm saying, no, this pain isn't. And... I was, people were telling me by this stage, you know, ask for this, ask for that. And I, as in medication wise, um, but she'd put me on lots of doses. I mean, amitriptyline up to nine times a night um, on top of tramadol, 100s, gabapentin, codeine, um, you, you, you name it, I high was on it. Um, then the medication started to make me violently ill. 
And um, every time I, t- I tried a new medication, as soon as it built up into my system, I would be vomiting. I mean, I have pictures of me that, that where I'm just grey um, from vomiting and diarrhoea. How how are your pain levels today? My my, my pain levels on, on a daily basis would range from a 5 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10. Really? Yeah, um, I would be walking and th- then all of a sudden my hip would just go and I would be on the floor. Or if I'm about to go, my husband sees it because he's so used to it now, yeah. bless him. Um, he'll catch me. I have aids in the house. I, I can't stand to do... Um, to, to wash dishes I can't stand to prep food I can't take um, a pan of boiling water off the stove to, to, to drain like potatoes for instance in, in, in case the water um, in case I scald myself because you just don't know when your leg's going to, to give way The continuing pain caused Susan to seek support on the internet she found Sling the Mesh campaign she and other women in the, her local area decided to go to the media with what they were experiencing. They felt that services in their area were not able to answer their problems and they wanted to have an extra contractual referral, or ECR, to a specialist mesh service in London. Now, I had gone back to see the gynaecologist after this and I had asked for an ECR and I was told, well... The, now, that, now that this has been in the media, the, the, the trust are um, very eager um, to get this sorted out. So, um, yes, you, there shouldn't be a problem with you getting your ECR. I will take you to the MDT meeting and we will discuss it. And she phoned me shortly after to say that I'd been given an ECR um, to UCLH to see um, Susie L. Neal. Yeah. Um, I waited then that was from August last year I got that and I waited until April this year to go to, to get my appointment to see Ms. Neal. I saw one of her team um, and now I'm waiting on the translabial scan which I go for next week and I go for my pre-op assessment the following day. So you're hoping to get the mesh removed? Totally yes. I mean the mental effect it has on on you, apart from the physical effect, is awful. And, and and there's no services here that can cope with that. But I want I want this out before it gets worse and does more damage to me. Michelle is another woman who's had mesh. Her experience started out well, and she has had a reduction in the symptoms that prompted the use of a mesh in the first place. But her symptoms developed over time. My name is uh, Michelle. I'm uh, married with three children. Um, I, well, I was, I was, I was um, experiencing a leakage of urine when I coughed, sneezed, did exercise, um, stress urinary incontinence, um, and so that's so I went to to see um, a, a, a consultant to see what could be done about it. Um, so I was told when I visited the surgeon, I, I was told that um, that the mesh uh, device was the most effective treatment to deal with my um, incontinence symptoms um, and would be a simple 20-minute procedure, uh, a quick fix um, that would solve my symptoms. Um, so I thought, 
Oh, great. Fantastic. I'll be back in work, you know, within a week. Um, Were you given any other information, yeah. sort of, you know, what the mesh was made of? No, no. and I and I feel really um, silly, really, or stupid, because I didn't ask questions. Um, I guess I just totally trusted the consultant that he was, you know, that he knew he knew what he was doing. So I didn't actually, I mean, it, I, if it was now, I would be asking a million questions, but at the time I didn't ask questions. And what were the immediate effects? Uh, did you feel an alleviation of symptoms? Did you think? Yes, I did. No, immediately. Yes, immediately, no more stress urinary incontinence. Um, but the only problem was that I had some some pain in my groin and lower back. But at the time, I didn't connect that to the mesh. Um, neither did the doctor. So um, I just thought it was, you know, back pain, you know, from exercise, groin pain from doing Pilates. I didn't actually, you know, link those link it at all to the mesh at the time. So, so um, when no. did the actual when did the when did the actual problem start um, after the operation? It it wasn't until five years later um, that my mesh complications um, worsened, um, and I even when those complications came, I, I still didn't link symptoms to mesh. But I suffered for a whole year with urinary tract infections, um, and I was continually taking different types of antibiotics um, for about a year and feeling quite ill. Um, and But no doctors were linking my symptoms to mesh and nobody. Um, so eventually I did, I consulted with a urologist um, and he found um, that my mesh device had eroded um, my, and migrated and it was causing a, a stricture, if you like, to my urethra or bladder neck. Um, and this this partial blockage meant that I, I couldn't empty my bladder fully and um, and that was causing the repeated infections. So this must have been having some effect on your life by, by then if you'd had experience yeah. in UTIs over the course of a year. Yeah, yes, because at the same time as the, um, the UTIs, I, I then also started suffering from dyspareunia, which is a term for painful sex. So I, I guess that was linked to the, the, the migration of the, of the mesh. Um, this led to, you know, loss of sex life. Um, and at the, also at the same time, I developed chronic pain in my right groin, became worse. My, I had chronic pain in my buttocks, lower back, uh, right thigh, um, which um, I later came to understand was a result of of the mesh irritating the obturator nerve in my pelvis, but at the time, you know, I, I didn't realize. Um, I also, because of all of these symptoms, I began to suffer from anxiety and depression as well. Um, and I was struggling with work and, and, and looking after a family with three children. Three children, yeah. So, so you, you obviously mm. sought help, so you went to see the urologist, and, and once you they'd identified that this was caused by eroded mesh what happened then yeah so then I had a surgery to partially remove the mesh because it was embedded around my urethra and um, and that did ad address the, the bladder infections but um, but, the, but unfortunately it didn't address the chronic pain that continued you know in my pelvis um, so I went to see the, the urologist again a year later and he recommended a, another partial removal of the mesh 
um, because he thought the full, I wanted a full removal of the mesh by then, but he felt it was too risky. But by then, um, I had begun to do my own research and I'd also joined a patient support group. So I felt the, from from the knowledge I had and the, you know, my own instincts, I felt that the only solution was to remove all the mesh. And I felt that, you know, the mesh was the, it was the cause of all the problems and I just wanted it out. And what, what were the risks as explained to you in having a full removal? You kept being told that it was too risky. Um, because it was a permanent implant, it wasn't supposed to be removed, um, and there were lots, and it was obviously embedded in, the mesh was embedded in tissue, um, and it was in a very nerve-rich area, and it could cause, you know, even more nerve damage if it was removed, so it was just deemed risky for that, for those reasons. If I had known any any of these symptoms were, or any of these complications might arise, I, of course, you know, would have run a mile, I would never have had it implanted. And how are you today? Well, um, so basically, um, I, so after those consultations, I then um, I then consulted yet another surgeon um, who I'd heard very positive reports about concerning his um, skills um, with full mesh removal. Um, and so I was very, you know, it was, it was it was a huge relief to find find him, um, and. He was reassuringly knowledgeable about all the symptoms um, and that he could do the full mesh removal. Um, so I was listed um, last year. I was listed for surgery. Um, I was on the waiting list for nine months. And during that nine months, I also developed more symptoms. Um, I began to have muscle spasms in my pelvis. Um, and I, so some days I could hardly walk. I had no control of my pelvis. And some days I stayed in bed. Um, and I became, you know, in this past year, I became very anxious that I was becoming disabled. And I know I've met other women who have become disabled due to the mesh. So I've heard their stories. And I, I, I became extremely anxious during the time, you know, they were waiting well, while I was waiting for surgery. Um, but finally, um, after nine years with mesh, I had a, a full mesh removal two months ago. Um, it, it took two specialist surgeons over four hours to remove the mesh. Um, and it was a very complex surgery, I was told. Um, but I'm, I'm very pleased to say that all of my symptoms have gone. My chronic pain symptoms, my mobility issues. Um, so last weekend, I, I did a three-mile hike with my family. I thought I'd never be able to do that again. So you can, I, I'm so relieved, yeah. That's 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 really good to know. Um, it sounds though that symptoms sound to be quite progressive. That it's you know the longer you have mesh, for some women the worse the symptoms get. No, I think that's absolutely true. Because it, you know from my own experience, I mean that was over a nine-year period that, that the symptoms were worsening. Um, and I, I, in my own, my husband and I both feel you know that I definitely would have become disabled had I not. You know, because um, those that those symptoms that, that, that the onset of those symptoms this year were quite rapid and um, and deteriorating. So um, I was in a huge hurry to get moved. So yeah, definitely, um, definitely. I think um, the longer you have it in, um, the more symptoms appear. Fee had not one but two meshes implanted. 
and over the course of several years has developed some of the most extreme symptoms that many women have associated with having a mesh. So um, I'm Fee and I'm 44. Initially, the problem was caused with my first child, um, who was born when I was 20, um, due to the fact that she was a back-to-back baby and brow presentation. I was cut and I also um, tore really badly, so they had to get her out with a ventouse. I was left with sort of like 100 stitches, so I was in a bit of a bad way. Um, But it wasn't until I had my third daughter when I was 33 that I became aware that I had this sort of dragging sensation and and things weren't quite right. Um, And after seeing a specialist, they confirmed that I had a grade two sister seal, which is a bulge in the anterior vaginal wall. I had surgery and, and it was successful brilliant did the job and I was really you had an immediate effect yeah immediately immediately it was it was brilliant um Mm. certainly did what what it said on the tin if you like um (laughs) so I was really pleased and then um a few years later uh when I was 39 I was starting to experience um mild urinary incontinence um so not massively. I wasn't wetting myself, but it was enough to, you know, I'm a keen horse rider. I'm very active. So it was kind of, it was really starting to get me down. So in 2013, I had a TVT bladder sling fitted for stress urinary incontinence. Right. So presumably you, this was all done on good medical is what the, what you thought was good medical advice yeah, yeah i wasn't offered anything else for my stress incontinence it, again the consultant i saw said this has an amazing success rate minimally invasive surgery um you know it's really really good um gold standard etc cetera, etc cetera. and because i'd already had a, a mesh put in i thought oh you know and so again i went into it positively and I had the surgery in 2013 and it was 100% successful. It it was amazing. It changed my life. So I was so, so pleased. And then... <clears throat> Just this, to be clear, this is your second mesh operation. Yeah, so yeah. I've got, I had two meshes fitted, yeah. And life went on. And then basically November last year, so November 2017... I became aware of this horrible sort of dragging sensation again and a very painful sex with my husband and yeah just a lot of pain and I thought well it's not there's something not quite right here something's going on so I went to see my local consultant um, who over a period of the next sort of three or four months did lots of tests so I had MRI with contrast. I had um, an examination under anaesthetic. I had um, cystoscopies, two cystoscopies, loads of um, internal exams. And it became apparent that there was one particular point vaginally that was, I mean, excruciating, like off the wall, painful. And although the mesh hadn't come through into my vagina. It was it was so sore and so close to the surface that he thought maybe I had an abscess or something. So this is why that I had the MRI. Um, he also 
I had a um, an anaesthetic where they injected me vaginally with a local anaesthetic <clears throat> and steroids in the hope that it would knock the pain. And by the time I got to the new year, my pain was off the scale. Like it had gone to, so I was now having intense urethral burning, like constant burning. Um, I had, I felt like I'd been kicked hard, really hard between the legs the whole time. And I had occasional really sharp stabbing pains. And it was just awful. And it got to the point where I couldn't really do an awful lot because I was in so much pain. And then about a week after that, I was changing my youngest daughter's bed. And I was hit by this horrific pain. It was like somebody had got a piece of glass and would literally ripped all my vagina. I mean, it was off the scale and it actually knocked me off my feet. After that horrific pain that I'd had, that made me collapse, I now had this really hard ridge that had appeared um, in the lower part of my vagina and it was it was really painful. And it, you could feel it was mesh. You could, so I think something had obviously moved and my prolapse mesh has got four arms and two are in my groin. So on the inside of my upper thigh and the bottom left one had torn away and the mesh had basically concertinaed up and was dangerously close to my bladder. And so it hadn't eroded, it just broken. It moved. It broken, tore and then moved. The complications with Fee's mesh implants meant that surgery to correct the problem had a high chance of complications, which given her previous medical problems left her dreading the procedure. So I then got an appointment eventually and I was told that I would have four consultant surgeons with me, that my ureters would have to be stented because obviously there's high risk of them slicing through my ureters, um, that there was obviously the potential that they would perforate my bladder, my bowels, etc., etc. Um, I was absolutely terrified and I just thought... Uh, yeah I, I mean how awful is this you know I'm kind of I've got no choice I've got I can't stay as I am but then I don't didn't really relish the thought of, of such a horrific surgery but again I was reassured that it would be fully removed and that you know it'd be fine so I had the surgery. Fee believes that surgeons didn't remove all of the mesh from her body and that a significant length of the material still remains inside her. Her continuing pain has led her to seek help outside of the NHS with an American mesh specialist. Uh, and how are your day-to-day -day symptoms? Pain. Pain. And now I've got mesh. I can feel mesh coming through my vagina. So I'm assuming it's one of the arms. I don't know. So what's the next step for you? My Our only choice is to go to America. So I'm waiting for my implant um, notes so that I can email them across to my uh, the surgeon over in, in America yeah. and then we're going to talk about it and my husband and I are now desperately trying to work out how we can raise £20,000 for me to go and have it. Fee feels that the NHS hasn't supported her through the whole process and that staff have been dismissive of her concerns. 
no, it's awful. And she said to me, um, don't listen to all the hype and the rubbish. And I, I, my husband was with me and we were just got, this is a mesh injured person she's talking to. This is somebody whose mesh has torn inside her and made me lose over a year of my life. I've contemplated suicide. The strain on my family, if it wasn't for my husband, I don't think I would still be here. You know, this is somebody who's been to hell and back and she's saying to me, don't listen to the hype. My my main source of help has been Sling the Mesh on Facebook, which is run by Kath Sampson, as I'm sure you know, who is an amazing lady. And if it wasn't for her, I I reached out to her suicidal. And that, that woman and the group of women on that, that Facebook group have literally saved my life. They have been amazing, amazing support. Yeah, without them, I think I would still be floundering in the dark, not knowing what the hell was going on. All the women we've interviewed today have been referred to us by the Sling the Mesh campaign and we'll hear more from many of them as this story unfolds. If you want to find out more about that campaign, you can find them on Twitter, at Mesh Campaign, or on their website, slingthemesh.wordpress.com. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more education, treatments for the common cold, and dyspareunia. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. We're in most places now. Rate and review us so that other people can find us too. I'm Rebecca Coombs. Thanks for listening.